We turn our backs on the ancient Venice, worn out and brought to ruin by centuries of pleasure-seeking, although once even we loved that city and took it to our hearts in a great nostalgic dream. We reject the Venice of foreigners, this marketplace of fake antique dealers, this magnet for universal snobism and imbecility, this bed worn out by endless droves of lovers, this bath adorned with jewels for cosmopolitan whores, this immense sewer of traditionalism. We wish to prepare for the birth of an industrial and military Venice, which can dominate the Adriatic, this great Italian lake. We rush to fill in its stinking little canals with the rubble of its crumbling pockmarked palaces. We'll set fire to the gondolas, rocking chairs for cretins, and we'll raise up to the skies the imposing geometry of metal bridges and factories plumbed with smoke so as to abolish the drooping curves of its ancient architecture. Let the reign of divine electric light begin at last to liberate Venice from the whorish moonlight of its furnished bedrooms. Those were some selections from Against Traditionalist Venice, written, like most futurist texts, by Filippo Tommaso Marinetti. Welcome to the Manifest Image, the podcast about manifestos, those who wrote them and the art they made. But as always, we'll endeavor to present these documents to you from the perspective of artists living at the time, starving art students, or, in our own eyes, obviously, up-and-coming radicals hell-bent on changing the world. I'm Ariel de la Garza. And I'm Thomas Greengrass. This week, against traditionalist Venice, or... Against passeist Venice, against past Venice... All of these are titles used for this manifesto. We'd prefer against Passeist Venice. Mm. What's the original? The original is Contra Venezia Passatista. So it's, it's more against Passeist Venice. Passeism being this word adapted from the French passe, which is also pretty much a, an English word at this point, right? To say, but oh, that's so that passe. Ariel? Oh, it's like, like last season. Right, like like dated, but in in a more condescending French tone. Wow, <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. Yeah, but no. Um, we'll be moving back and forth between <laughs> two different translations. Um, the one that we began with there, that was um, uh, the title for that, uh, Against Traditionist Venice. That's from the critical writings of F.T. Marinetti, uh, which was edited by uh, Gunther Berghaus and translated by Doug Thompson. But we'll also be using uh, one that's from the Futurist, Futurism and Anthology, uh, which was translated by Lawrence Rainey, and that's the Against Passeist Venice. We'll see a few uh, translation changes there, which are interesting. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, what's going to happen in this episode, Thomas? Ah. And what does this manifesto say? So, at heart, it's, it's a diagnosis. It's a diagnosis of Venice. <laughs> and yeah. then a suggestion of treatment and Marinetti's intent. Uh, so... It's quite a short manifesto, right? It's very short. Um, in fact, when I was reading it just then, um, there was nearly the whole thing. I just removed one, one, one um, small paragraph. Uh, but my super short synopses. Pleasure-seeking, nostalgic dream, foreigners, marketplace, fake antiques, snobbery, lovers, cosmopolitan whores, traditionalism. Bring them back to life. 
ennoble the Venetian people, prepare for industrial and military Venice, gondolas, explained, imposing moonlight. <laughs> there we go. That's my, those are my buzzwords for that. That's and good. It also acts as a little synopsis. But at heart, what does he, what does he say? He hates the Venice that is just backward-looking, the one that loves its old, decadent architecture, that loves its canals, that's trying to sell itself for what it once was. And it's just been, he thinks, commercialised in many ways. Fake antiques. People are trying to make it look old. They're making new things that look old. And the subject matter and that's, is That's even worse than old things. Exactly. It's new things made to look and be old. Yeah, what he hates against the symbolist masters. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he, he thinks the subject matter for all of it, all of its painting, all of its poetry, uh, any of its music, that it's, it's all just old. People are seeing it and they're thinking of this 16th century city, mm-hmm. uh, this Renaissance city, instead of a modern, technologically interested Venice. And so he's going to try to bring in war and violence and and war materials, and more violence, <laughs> yeah. new materials, uh, and, and just try to bring them to life in in terms of these primitive, energetic and violent desires. And they did this, uh, unlike in other cases where they published it in the front page of Le Figaro, as we said before, mm, or futurism in a magazine, manifesto. exactly, Poesia or something. I think mm. that's where Kill the Moonlight was published. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or in some one of these other futurist journals, they print this out onto a pamphlet, and then they throw it dramatically over a balcony overlooking the Piazza San Marco in Venice, the beautiful, famous square. Now, Marinetti claims mm. they threw 800,000 pamphlets. Oh, 800,000. I mean, wow, what a number. I know. Could you imagine blotting out the sun with their message? Oh, you could kill the moonlight with that. Kill the moonlight with that. It's probably actually only about 20. It was it? probably <laughs> not 20. <laughs> there's, there's always so much, there's so much futurist um, Made it pompousness. and paper aeroplane just threw it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My paper aeroplane goes the furthest. Yeah, and probably the only thing they did was, was blot, out, blot out the sun for some children who were mm-hmm. walking around with ice cream cones. Oh. Oh, no, you feel bad for those kids, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. But all of this was a publicity stunt to publicize Umberto Boccioni's newest exhibition um, that was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And apparently it went quite well. So, and we like Boccioni. We like Boccioni. We looked at his trip. Yeah, they're quite week. great. Mm-hmm. Now... Also interesting here, and we're going to get into this more, Venice will serve as that type of staging ground for so many of these futurist acts or futurist performances. Um, It's very much a backdrop. So that's a slightly interesting relationship that they have to this city that they say they want to replace and so on. And yet they also seem to like its inherent drama Mm. that its architecture brings. But before we go on, what, what should we say about this, this small text? What do you think? Well, what did you think of it? Did you like it? Did I like it? As a young artist, are you roused? Maybe, maybe you're, maybe, okay, let's say you're a different artist now. You're not in Milan or in Paris. You're sitting in Venice and you're selling your hideous reproductions of old canalettos, you know, on the side to, to fat German literature professors that have gone to find a a fleeting fling with a young man before they inevitably die. 
Yeah. Well, that was a, that's quite the quite, quite the painting. Yeah. <laughs> so quite the <laughs> mental painting. I'm a young artist. I'm there. I'm doing as you say I am. And in my head, I've got these artists of the last 100 years. Uh, uh, say, uh, Ippolito Caffi? <laughs> or Giovanni... Uh, um, oh, Ariel, be a dear. <laughs> be a dear and do your names. Do your names. Do the names, Ariel. Giovanni Antonio Canaletto, for example. Uh, yeah, but I wasn't thinking of him. Well, you weren't, but he, you should have been. He's, he's like a classic version of this. And yeah, Ippolito Caffi, Giovanni Boldini, Federico Mo- Moja? Moja? I don't know how to say that him in Italian. Well. M-O-J-A. <laughs> M-O-J-A. And of course, you can say the last one, can't you? Yeah, I know. Well, hold on, because we've got these. These are all artists of the last 100 years. Um, and such. And Frederick paint- Nerli, apparently, right? Uh, Friedrich Ner- Nerli, who's a German painter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm thinking, I've been studying some of their art of the last 100 years. And everyone has got the idea of, of Italy and of, of Venice. That's the Venice of the Renaissance. People have these. these classicists in their minds uh, and <clears throat> and um, it's all backward looking it's, it's, it's remembering uh, uh, old glories and the subject matters of many of those painters so if you can go back because we've actually got it on a little screen here um, some of the names so um, Ippolito Caffi uh, has uh, one of these paintings is uh, the Piazza San Marco a Venezia. Did you read the rest of it? Yes, it's 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 the 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 piazza that the futures threw their pamphlets onto. Uh, yeah. Venice in the moonlight. Yeah. Venice in the moonlight. Oh, you you wanted me to say Al Chiaro di Luna? Yes, I did. So, because again, it's all yeah. this moonlight imagery. Mm-hmm. They're loving it, and and look at the subject matter of this painting. Uh, by the way, there will be links to these in the description. Frederick Nerli as well, right? Yeah, has has, has nearly the, the exact yeah. painting. Piazza San Marco mm-hmm. in Wendig de Munlicht. Uh, again, in the... Oh, beautiful German. Thank beautiful you. German. It rolls off the tongue. Yeah. So you've got the same, these same views being painted by different... Uh, Turner did his Venice paintings Turner as well. Everyone did. Going to Italy was a whole, whole thing for a European or British painter. Right? Yeah. And, it, uh, and uh, what's the subject matter? It's just the architecture, that's, uh, Renaissance architecture of the city... Mm-hmm. And in these romantic scenes where it's in the moonlight, it's very sensual. Uh, and then we've also you got... Can maybe imagine Casanova jumping, jumping from some, some lady's balcony as her husband is walking in and getting into some, like, you know, wheelchair for cretins or rocking chair for cretins. Sorry, you see, you see Casanova's an interesting one, mentioning him, because I think that Marinetti would have actually appreciated someone like Casanova. Because Casanova... Be- because of the, the sexism? Or, or no, 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 no. Because he was, a, he was more than just that. He was an adventurer, right? Mm-hmm. He does everything. He's a man of words, but he also travels. He does a little bit of spying. Mm-hmm. He's a gambler. He's, he's, he's a chancer, but he lives life. He's, he gives in to his whims mm-hmm. um, whilst also being uh, deeply intellectual. He loves to overthink everything, but is also a creature of impulse. 
I think that that's precisely the kind of person that Marinetti would have appreciated in terms of the raw energy being celebrated, and that's the guiding principle. Um, so, but we don't have that. We don't. We've just got this old-looking architecture. What's uh, we've got another painting there by one of them? Uh, who? Um, Federico Moya. Uh, was that, that's not of the gondolas. That's of the gondolas. Yes, of course. We have some gondolas, but there was another one. Um, uh, yeah, Giovanni uh, Boldini. Um, who has this, the island of San Giorgio. Um, subject matter, gondolas. On the run. <laughs> yeah, on, only gondolas. Happy, happy, happy. On the run, yeah. Exactly. And there's another painting that we've got on there, which is uh, about uh, the, uh, the solar eclipse uh, in Venice. I think all of these things, deeply evocative of futurist imagery, um, well, sort of, of, of kill of, the moonlight, that we love the sun, we want mm -hmm. to uh, inspire the sun. And there's just all this deep romance. But where's the energy of it? We looked at the futurist paintings. We see where they're going. There's force lines. There's color theory. This is all far too naturalistic, far mm -hmm. too realistic, and far too masturbatory. It's just looking over. <laughs> it's looking back over uh, 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 previous glories. Where is the innovation? Where are the... He, he hates this, the drooping arches. No, 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 no. It has to be metal. Yeah. And it has to be with a screaming engine. Two-stroke. No, no, no. <laughs> so we, we, but we're familiar with all of this. We are, we we're are. We're familiar. We're the young artists of the time. We're familiar. We've been studying these people. And we're thinking, that's true. It's time for a new subject matter. I mean, I would totally agree were I an artist of the time. I've actually thought something not completely dissimilar. Like, I, I, uh, when you see a Canaletto in the National Gallery or any major museum, they're everywhere. They are very beautiful. But there is something static about them. There, there is something that I cannot help but be reminded of a postcard <laughs> when I see them. Oof. And that's, that's, that's quite damning. tragic. That is damning. A little bit. I mean, they are brilliant. The light is fantastic. But there is something of that. There is something of that in the subject matter. It's not like a painting of ruins, which I also, I also like the ones of ruins. Mm that whilst also being architectural, don't feel as postcardy to me. But where's the innovation, Ariel? Yeah, I, Where I, is it? I, I agree, I agree. And in, in those moments, you, they do feel rather static. And I think Venice has had that, that place as a tourist, like it's always been in that situation. Mm. There's more tourists now than ever, but if you go to Venice, you, 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 you might feel a little bit like Marinetti does and you think, oh, Oh, Venice, where art thou, you know, beautiful. I mean, he doesn't, he thinks that just burn it, get rid of it and replace it. But you do feel inherently nostalgic if you ever see Venice. You, it, it's a place that screams of past lives better lived. God, part that, that's just, <laughs> past lives better lived. Ugh. So we're, you, we're young at the time. I think we're finding it very encouraging. You're obviously wanting to make your mark, and here is someone who is criticizing all of these standards. So I think we do like it if we're, we're young artists well, sure, at the time. It's, we're it's, finding it very moving. We'll feel invigorating, or we'll feel profoundly offended. Also, mm. might feel very offended at him attacking what are absolutely sublime structures full of amazing paintings. I mean, that that, that is true. The, the architecture in Venice is really stunning, right? And even with the tourists, wow, <laughs> it's really impressive. 
Even with the tourists? <laughs> no. Seriously, even yeah, with yeah, the yeah. tourists. Yeah. Hmm. But no, so we, we, see, it's more impactful to me to go to Venice and to see it than to go to the Empire State Building. Although, of course, Marinetti would have thought, oh, the Empire State Building. So Yeah, but that's because it's become so a standard for State. us. That's why even, even Marinetti is saying that in 10 years' time, you ha- you can't, we- we'll be huddled around a, an old aeroplane Fine, engine. The, the shard. The shard, then. Even the shard, to some extent. I mean, these aren't new anymore. It's difficult to imagine futurism today, I think. That, that, that kind of energy. I mean, where is the raw passion? Where is the raw energy? What would be the new innovation? Mm-hmm. It's difficult because... In, oh, there's this, new, mean, there's this new app, Thomas. You should, we should check it out. It's great. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting. I'm, I'm so riveted. Would Marinetti like the online world? He would have to. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'd be cornered with that. Maybe, maybe, maybe Marinetti today would be someone like... Uh, one of one of one of those guys that that posts about this new biography of Steve Jobs that you read and how exciting oh, it was. God. You think? No, no, probably, probably not. You do that. Hey, Aaron no, actually God. comes from a long line uh, no, of people no. who read Steve <laughs> I, Jobs books. I, I don't. And then I hate them. Put sections In fact, up I consider, on social I media. Can, I'll, I consider those gifts insults. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what to get you for your birthday oh. next. What did I get you? <laughs> this one when we were in a shop together. You got me an edition of Lady Chatterley's Lover after you asked me if there was any book, any classic that I would probably never read. And I said after a while, I don't think I'd be reading Lady Chatterley's Lover. And immediately you bought me that. Yeah. Hey, you oh, oh that's great. Well, thank you for the gift. You're welcome. You're welcome. I know you'll treasure it. Oh. But so that being said, yes. Venice occupies this special place for the futurists. No. It has clearly this really strong symbolic presence in past art. It has this whole artistic tradition that revolves around it that we still see represented in museums today. You know what we just said, Canaletto, yeah. all of these other guys, Ippolito, Caffi, all, you know, all, all these painters. I'm, I'm just saying that I can pronounce the names. Yes. yes. Huh. Hmm. Poorly, but... So the futurists do see this also, and they do think, I think deep down, there is a stunning drama to Venice and its architecture. That's why they use it as a backdrop for so much of their explosive stuff. On the 1st of August, 1910, at Teatro La Fenice, Marinetti starts the first futurist evening, or Serata Futurista. I think that's what that means. I, uh, mm. don't, don't quote me on that. And he reads a text called, What is Futurism? which we've also have reproduced in Futurism and Anthology, thankfully. And in it, he excoriates the Venetians for turning their backs on progress and being pimps of the past. And apparently it, it all went down poorly. There are conflicting accounts. <laughs> really? There are conflicting accounts for how poorly. poorly. <laughs> you amaze me. <laughs> There's conflicting accounts for how poorly it went down. Yeah. Some people say there were Fist fights, others not so many. But not so many, others no fist fights yeah. or just booing. No, there, loud was, there booing. was so much violence. Mm. People died, there was blood up the walls. So, at some of these futurist evenings, though, apparently people did throw vegetables at, <laughs> at, at, the, at them. There, there were like several they futurist. They had a food fight. They had a big old food fight. At the, at the, there were several futurist theatrical performances mm. um, that they came by through different names. 
On the night? Uh, not that night, later. In fact, slightly breaking the rule a bit, but a few years later, where they had poetry readings and just other theatrical things, the synthetic theater, that's what they called it. Which we'll get to in a future episode. We'll get to in a future episode, and you know, they were, they were thrown vegetables and rotten carrots and whatever. Mm. So apparently it did get rather heated. But then again, this was a time when that type of thing happened in an audience. You wouldn't go to a play and everyone would be nice and quiet. People would yell and scream, and it, was, it, sounded, it sounds really fun. I, we should do that again. I don't know why people don't yell at theater anymore. Oh, they think that they're cultured, but they're not. That's so boring. Yeah, they sit through a, a performance of Twelfth Night <laughs> <laughs> and, and sit there for, what, two hours, two and a half hours, pretend to enjoy it. And pretend to understand what's going on. Oh. Everyone knows it's impossible to follow. Exactly. Mm. It's terrible. Who <laughs> take that, William Shakespeare. You <laughs> we don't like Twelfth old Night. Old windbag. <laughs> I saw it not long ago. Yeah. At the Globe. <clears throat> not to date the video. How would that date <laughs> the video? Who cares, Thomas? It's not a video either. No. <laughs> <laughs> but no, okay. Time to get serious. Because we don't have any clear declarations. We don't have number one, number two, what we support, what we, what we hate. Instead, it's all this relaxed sort of paragraph. Um, but what do they diagnose within Venice? That it's been brought to ruin because of hedonism, essentially. Um, that it's taken in this um, uh, multinational quality. It's got all these tourists. It's got these foreigners. It's become commercial. People are selling things. The marketplaces are busy. Um, and there's suggestions of antiques. And I think part of the fake antiques here is... Um, is actually uh, reproducing or rather producing works that are meant to be old, meant to look old. Um, and that there's this idea of, of um, superiority probably from being Venetian, mm-hmm. that you come from this rich history and that he's, he hates this snobbery. Um, this independent city-state type of vibe. Yeah. Honestly, it sounds like Venice sounds like what I think a lot of people think London is today. Like Venice, like at once was the type of place that London is, kind of where it's like. But London's not romantic in that way. No, you're right. Not it's the moonlight. It's grey and miserable. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but we've also got all these romantic ideas, the bed worn out. Yeah, by I, lovers, I meant like equally. I meant equally arrogant. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. that's true. Exactly. Um, and just. Uh, so, what do you think? Do you think that he's correct here? Or, or rather, okay, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. What do we make of that? There is something about this. I think we would think it even today, but especially if we're looking at it from the time, mm-hmm. where there isn't anything to really define Venice apart from something that's just gone long before. And it's not something from a decade ago. It's over a couple of hundred years ago. It is. I mean, I... You don't I haven't been there enough, I guess, to, to see anything beyond... I, I don't know, is there any local life in Venice anymore? I mean, I'm assuming the entire economy is based around, like, purely tourism. And maybe... What's the name of that lovely glass they make over there? With those fancy, fancy chandeliers, Thomas? I don't what, know. What's called? 
I'm afraid I don't know, friend. It's Murano glass? I think it might be. And there's a little island called that. Venetian glass. The Venetian glass is that's very... What they call it. It's very prized. Um, but that's about it. I mean, there's some schools and art schools, I think, still. But, but it's, it's a strange place. It's a strange place. Mm. And then what but the, it's been decadent forever. You, if you read Thomas yeah. Mann's Death in Venice, decadent since then, it's like super decadent. It's always decadent. Mm. Um, but decadent in that way, not only decadent in the way that somewhere like Sicily is decadent, where tons of government mismanagement means that it's, they never paint anything and everything is kind of crumbling and it's sort of beautiful. Venice, that, but also it, it has this like mass of tourism. So there's, there's a strange, uncanny feeling when, whenever you're there, right? That, that something seems not entirely alive and yet it's still so evocative. You know? e- even then it's evocative. So yeah, I, don't, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what that was, so. No, no, no. You no, make no. sense of that, Thomas. No, 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 I think so. <laughs> I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna press on because yeah. we've, had, we've been looking at the diagnosis, but then he gives his what he thinks is the treatment, we, uh, which this is the section mm-hmm. that I haven't read out so far yet. We wish to cure and begin the healing process of this putrescent city, this magnificent carbuncle from the past. <laughs> we want to bring the Venetian people back to life, to ennoble them, fallen as they are from their former greatness, stupefied by their sickening spinelessness and humiliated by their habitual shady little businesses. So he's, he's really mocking the commercialism, um, he thinks that the people aren't really living these days, that they're just shadows walking about as if they're in Tartarus or something. Um, and and he, give, uh, he shows his, his vision how to actually heal it. Mm-hmm. It's to prepare for a military Venice and it's to knock down all the beautiful architecture. But then what would be left? droopy arches of Venice that can conquer the Adriatic. Okay, but that's th- what th- is there. That's the thing that, that I think Marinetti just doesn't doesn't get. Like, okay, fine. Say so we knock it all down, we pave over the canals. What would you have? You'd, you'd have Croydon or something. Hey. I mean, I don't mean Croydon. to pick on Croydon. Yeah, I, I, well, honestly, I couldn't think of anything. Croydon? Not Croydon. A- 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 anywhere. You, you, you'd have, like, most of Mexico City or you'd have most of, of, of the world that is just this, like blasted hellscape of concrete and mediocre factories and then shitty housing. Uh, by the way, for those who don't know, Croydon is a particular place in London. Yes. South London. Yeah, I, I don't know why I picked on Croydon. I've never been. I'm sure it's nice. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Um, but I like Croydon. It holds a special place for me. But, mm-hmm. um, but no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Thomas, you old romantic. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, he, that's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants to fill in the stinking canals. And I think this is, uh, and he wants it to be led by this, uh, you know, the divine electric yes, light. Yes, let's make it into a modern Sparta. Yeah. yeah. It's the ideas that we saw in Let's Kill the Moonlight uh, and the first Futurist Manifesto. No, but there's something so banal to it. Like, uh, once, once, once you think of what you would actually be built, were they to do all of it. It's not that, it's not that exciting to me. You know? Yeah, that's because you're used to it. Because we've seen it, and it's, it's, it leaves you equally cold. More cold. Hey, central heating is a marvel. No, it is. No, that's good stuff. But anyway. Modern technology keeps you warm, Ariel. Oh, I know. It leaves you spiritually barren. Hey, <laughs> nice and toasty. <laughs> nice and toasty. 
But no, uh, I think this is a good place to introduce the Venetian speech that Marinetti gives yes, off please. the cuff. It was floundering horribly. So, it wasn't off the cuff. You think it was planned? Of course it was planned. Everything with Marinetti is planned. No, that's true. But no, it was off the cuff. So exciting. Venetians, when we cried, let's murder the moonlight, we were thinking of you, old Venice, grimy with romanticism. But now our voice has grown louder, and we add with a roar, let's free the world from the tyranny of love. We are sick of erotic adventures, lechery, sentimentalism, and nostalgia. Why persist, Venice, in offering us veiled women at every twilight turn of your canals? Enough, enough, stop whispering your obscene invitations to all the passerby of the earth. O Venice, you procure us, you who under your heavy mantilla of mosaics persist in preparing enfeebling romantic nights, querulous serenades, and frightful ambushes. O Venice, I too once loved the sumptuous half-shadows of the Grand Canal, steeped in exotic voluptuousness, the feverish pallor of your beautiful women, who glide down from their balconies on stairways, illuminated by lamplight, amid a slanting rain and rays of moonlight to the tinkling of crossed swords. But enough! All this absurd, abominable, and irritating stuff makes us sick. And now instead we want electric lamps with a thousand rays of light that can brutally stab and strangle the mysterious shadows. Pestiferous, alluring shadows. That's nice. That's Your Grand Canal, dredged and widened, will inevitably become a great mercantile port, trains, trams, so on, and you should be shrewd, wealthy, busy businessmen and industrialists and like that. And don't, uh, please read one more. Don't howl against the so-called ugliness of the locomotives, trams, automobiles, and bicycles, in which we discern the first outlines of the great futurist aesthetic. Who knows? They may even serve a useful purpose, smashing some horrid and grotesque Nordic professor in a Tyrolean hat. <laughs> okay, look, that was great. I, yes, I got to even that. That was brilliant. That's great, yeah. I, I had you carry on reading there because I think that that's really important. I, it, it gives a little bit more flavor... Uh, uh, um, in terms of a picture of what you were asking before, what does the city look like? Well, it's got trams in it now. You've you filled mm. in the canals, and suddenly this great. Uh, um... But there's there's a great veneration of Venice in this. There's like a profound love for it. That that you don't fully get in in the short manifesto. No, that's true. There's this like he's in raptures about the city. He adores it. He does. He he, he says really does. This, I mean, this is like. But you want to prostrate yourselves before every foreigner and your servility is repugnant. You know, Venetians, Venetians, why do you wish to be loyal slaves of the past? But it, he says that the past and everything, but I, I think he does, has to acknowledge the, the power of Venice as aesthetic. Well, he, he always says, he, he loves it. He, he keeps reminding us that, oh, yes, I did love this once upon a time. And he still gets a whiff of it. He, he still thinks, yes, there is something to it. He's still in love with it, but... He says time and time again that it's not easy to be a futurist. You have to kind of give your entire self. You have to tear yourself apart. That's what you see in, uh, in the, the symbolist masters that we mentioned in the second uh, episode. Um, um, it's, yeah, there is this thing where you're kind of fighting against yourself. He does appreciate it. You're absolutely right, I think. Yeah. And one, one last bit, one last bit that I highlighted here. Yeah. And yet once, a long time ago, you were invincible warriors and artists of genius, audacious navigators, efficient industrialists, and tireless merchants. And now you have become hotel waiters, tour guides, pimps, antiquaries, forgers, fakers of old pictures, plagiarists, and copyists. You have forgotten that, first of all, you are Italians. 
And then in the language of history, this world means builders of the future. I like how you went up there. Builders of the future? Uh, it's because it was, have you forgotten? And then it was a question at the end. Mm. So I know, I the like old the brain there did a, yeah. did a loop. That's, that, that's nice. Mm. So again, we carry on with the diagnosis, but in a little more detail. Mm-hmm. And you've had a little bit of nationalism at the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know that, you know. Mm-hmm. We see this again. <laughs> Italy, we, we hurl this out at the world. As always. Mm-hmm. So apparently at one point during the, the evening, uh, Carlo Cara attempted to denounce Ugo Ogetti, Vittorio Pica, and Primo Levi, and members, so all of these were prominent critics of futurism, and the members of the audience drowned him out with boos and heckles. And then, apparently, Marinetti says, your imbecility does not merit any response, he retorted at one point. It's impossible, well no, Cara says, your imbecility does not merit any response. It's impossible to continue, Marinetti interjected. We are faced with the usual cretins. <laughs> it, it didn't get better after that. They had to leave, I think. Yeah. Would you invite them round? I mean, it, they sound like rousing good fun, no? <laughs> <laughs> the Venetians invited them back. The year after and the year after. Yeah, because it was hugely impactful. And apparently... On, I think, the third year they went back, they still, you could still see the graffiti that said, Long live Marinetti, which, I mean, let's be honest, he probably wrote himself on the theater. Yeah. <laughs> but no, hold on. I want to go back to what you were reading out just then. Because so much of it does resemble Let's Kill the Moon, Let's Murder the Moonlight, mm-hmm. uh, which he directly mentions. Uh, you know, the idea of the, the light blotting out the moon. Or no, no, sorry, not blotting out the moon, but uh, just... These these uh, rays of moonlight amid slanting rain and rays of moonlight. Um, but yeah, he he wants to fill in the canals. He wants to create a. Mm-hmm. It's unclear how real this is. How real is this image? Of filling in the canals and everything. Yeah. Is, is he serious? No, yeah. I th- I th- I think it's a huge bluff because, again, in practice they go back and they go back and they go back to Venice and futurism. In Venice, has quite a bit of a life. This we get from what is it, Willard Bonn? Mm, yeah, uh, this book, which we will 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 we'll have a citation the for it. Other futurism, is it? Well, it's, it's about futurism. No, but it's called the other futurism, isn't it? No, well, the other futurism. In any case, he gives you this pretty wonderful story of futurism in different places of in different parts of Italy, um, including Venice and. The proper story of futurism in Venice goes on for a while. And so, although most of futurism will die down once, uh, spoiler alert, Boccioni dies. In the First World War. I'm sorry, yeah. Get killed by a horse or something. Yeah, he falls off his horse. Yeah. He falls off a horse he does, and, yeah. and, and dies, yeah. Um, and, and that, to a degree, spells the end of futurism. Um, it, it will continue on. And in Venice, in the 20s, it, it, its momentum keeps rising. So it's quite popular in Venice still. Mm. Um, and that's why if you go there now, you can find that the massive section of the city has been bulldozed <laughs> and uh, there's new Croydon on it. <laughs> that's yeah. what they built. That's from 19... 19 uh, what was that? 1920s, that was. Yeah. Yes. New Croydon in Venice. <laughs> new Croydon in Venice. And they were, doing, they were doing quite well. In fact, I mean, even by June 1910, the future is so before... 
the second, well, before all of this, the futurist painters were struggling to keep up with demand for their paintings. Um, they couldn't. They couldn't make them fast really? enough. Yeah, they, it was. It was starting to become a huge hit, and they even had to write to uh, several gallery owners that wanted to make shows and say, "No, well, it's not." You know, they tried to do it. Um, so then, in 1913, there's a huge show, Mostra Giovinelli d'Arte. Um, that was really bad Italian. And that was like a huge show and newspapers and chatters all over the city. So it was really, really bumping, you know? Futurism was doing well. That's strange. That's odd. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think just to underline the hatred of Venice there, yeah. it's because the whole, the whole city is a museum, right? That's yeah. why it's a museum. The whole city is a museum. And he just doesn't want to... He, what's the point? We saw this in the first one. What's the With point in studying the old masters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a beautiful bit later on in the poem. It's just so full of vitriol, but mm. it's, it's rhetorically rich. <clears throat> and uh, So I'll just read it out. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's no small thing to stimulate them to love. For even if your guest were an emperor... He would have to navigate slowly through the filth of this vast sewer, full of storied shards. His gondoliers would have to ply their oars through several kilometres of liquefied excrement, sniffing the divine odour of a latrine, passing alongside barges heaped with lovely garbage, escorted by suspicious floating paper bags, until at last he would reach his goal in true imperial style, pleased with himself and his lordly sceptre. Wow. And... It, he hates the canals, but uh, I, I just thought he, it's so sarcastic and biting and scathing, and he, he really digs in and works out how many ways can I describe these canals as essentially being toilets. <laughs> oh, it's great. That's kind of great in a way. It's a great one. This. This has been your glory in recent days, O Venetians. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> you go. It's a wonder why the, the, the speech didn't go down a storm, isn't it? <laughs> Someone's shouting out, you should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> but there were only about three people listening, probably. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a, a, a massive fist fight erupted. Massive. That's right. Cara died. No, he didn't die. <laughs> no, he didn't die. Boccioni, though. Yeah, later on. So and he, that's yeah, he, he, yeah. he ends with Venice, a military and commercial centre for the Adriatic, the great Italian lake. So he is quite obsessed with this image. He is. Um, of, of the military Venice. We know that he always wants war. He always wants war. He's obsessed with the war. And that's ultimately futurism's downfall, as we'll find out, because... Boccioni does die in it. And also, it turns out the war was not cool. No. And People was, didn't like it in the end. As yeah. we'll also see, I think, with vorticism, in, that's, that's quite a few weeks down the line. Mm-hmm. Once we're a little bit more along the way with futurism, we'll, we'll be doing a little bit of cubism, to, to discussing Apollinaire, and then we'll shift to vorticism. But again, all these movements that take place during the time of the First World War... You'll find that wars just aren't a very fertile ground for the cultivation of these kinds of ideas. New ideas do get just get drowned out, and it's once the war well, new ideas that are explicitly militaristic and that stop having the impact that they did, because the war was 
machines and destruction and violence. It was everything they would have dreamed of. It was the, the wholesale leveling of cities. Yeah, but that doesn't explain why something like vorticism also doesn't uh, properly take off. Uh, I think a lot of these movements, because... I, mean, I think for like, futurism, it definitely explains why it didn't work, right? And, well, and, and why something like Dadaism does start to work, because they engage directly with the destruction and exactly. emptiness that the war left. I think that's it. Like, yeah. Post-war, you get a lot of uh, new movements come about. And I mean, you will have. Texts but you're right. Dur- like during the, the war, during the war, okay. I guess art seems less important. Yeah, and, and, and just people. I think ideas that come out during it, they, they just want to. I think they almost jettison everything that there is to do with it. Mm. You have to anything that was was created during that time, it's all gone. No one wants to think about it. We're all in this kind of hangover and this misery from the war. And that's when you start to have new ideas, but many of which will have to start to play on the this kind of sadness, this, these blues that, that fall on, on these people post, post the war. Yeah. And so certainly someone who is celebrating and recommending, yeah, no, more war, more war. It's the only uh, cleanser of the world. It's not, going to be, it's not going to be fashionable. It starts to sour, doesn't it? Well, okay, we're the young, we're the young artists again. We're like, yeah, yeah, it sounds great. It sounds great. We're all there. We're, we're saying, yeah, let's get in a fist fight and everything. Yeah, we're going to hit someone. Let's imagine that we mm-hmm. do. We, we've ended up beating up some critics and things like that. Suddenly, we've got guns in our hands and you're bleeding and you're in the horrors and you're in the mud and the filth mm-hmm. and the disease and you've got you're covered in lice and you're starving. You haven't eaten and it's freezing and you can't contact your family. You're... Those ideas that you once had, that was romantic. That was romantic. When you were saying, I hate all those Venetians who are just prostituting themselves. No, it was romantic thinking that, oh, it's, it's all terrible. When you're actually in the war, that's when it's bad. Sorry, yeah. I know, I've really no, brought the in, mood the, But down. that's entirely, that's totally true, right? That is the downfall of futurism. That's why yeah. this has such a limited appeal to me. Mm. And also, because once you think to its actual realization, it's 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 horrifying. Yeah. It's truly, truly horrifying. I mean, they lean into it, mm. but at a certain point, when you see what happens, and that's what the wars did. Wow, it's amazing. Which it's very hard to to still find these ideas profoundly exciting. It's amazing to me which parts sort of take off even by accident. Mm-hmm. Marinetti does get his war. He does get his first world war. In fact, he'll get the second world war as well uh, later on. Uh, but and of course, there will be architecture. There will be futurist architecture that's very influential, and there will be futurist music, and we'll get to all of that. And so there are examples, but they never do really bulldoze Venice. They never do fill in the canals. They never do get rid of the museums. They do, however, have a war by coincidence. And Marinetti's involved in drafting, as I, I, we've definitely mentioned already, the, uh, the, the, the fascist, fascist, fascist. fascist manifesto or definition of fascism, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, futurism, of, he eventually founds futurism as a political party mm-hmm. later on. What a, and, what a bad idea. Yeah, and I think... What a bad it, idea that was. It, yeah. it, it eventually gets subsumed into um, Mussolini's fascism. But, I mean, this is quite a lot down the line. We've currently still got Cara and Russolo and all these others. They're mm-hmm. all still with, with Marinetti. We'll see that during the First World War, 
And immediately after, these people start to break away. And in fact, it's, it's rather remarkable. We'll mention this when we actually come to these specific people because there are some manifestos by Cara, etc. But they end up taking more of a traditional bent. Mm-hmm. They end up going down that kind of traditional path. They start looking back. Yeah. And so they do leave Marinetti. And it was, it was interesting here to, to be reading about this and to see that someone like Primo Levi was... It's obvious that he would be against futurism. Um, mm. It's obvious, I mean, not, not only afterwards, after the war, and after his appalling experiences in the concentration camp, because he was Jewish, mm. but before as well, because Primo Levi is someone that's completely different from these guys. He's someone very, very connected to his past. and just, it's, it's great. He's a great artist. And we tried to look for things, but probably those things are not in English, or they're a bit harder to find. So if any listener is Italian and has not been terminally offended by our mentions of Italians, drop us a line about those things that Primo Levi Levi wrote against the futures. That'd be fascinating to to, to look at. Mm, Yeah, no, we have an email. We have an email, the Manifesto Image Podcast Mm -hmm. at gmail.com. Or you can contact us on Twitter at Manifesto Image. (laughs) (laughs) There's also... A Facebook page for Wilfred. No, 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 okay. no. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. <coughs> that, that one doesn't exist. That one doesn't exist. Uh, there is the manifest image on Facebook, Facebook page. page. Yeah. Yes. Um, is there anything else? Uh, we, we've we've said a lot. No, we've 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 said plenty. I think that's I think that's good. This is a short manifesto. Mm. Um, the speech to Venetians happens later. Yes. Um, it is very influential. It's quite a hit. Marinetti will come back to give another speech later, and he'll come back once more, and there will be shows made in Venice. Lots of things will happen. Futurism will continue on the rise there. There are some sculptures that are made, even though there are some other artists that are not entirely uh, clearly futurists in the way that the others are. But that will happen. There'll be theater... And we'll revisit these things in future episodes. So the one about theater, we'll talk a bit about theater. I think the most important for, to, to keep in mind about Venice is that it was like a stage for futurism. It was one of the greatest stages that futurism had for all of the symbolic um, significance that they so abhorred it for was exactly what made it so good for, of a place to say these futurist things. That's, that's, I think, the most important thing. And I think it helps uh, clearly define them mm-hmm. because it gives them an opposition. What are we not? We are definitely... We are these things. I'm struggling to imagine it. We are not we this beautiful, not this. dramatic theatre And we're going to tell you gives what, us exactly. what our city yeah. would be like. Knock it all down. Trams, locomotives. We want it all here. Fill in the canals. That's what our city wants to be like. The new Croydon. The new Croydon. But... Uh, hold on, I just want to say one more thing. Um, uh, I, I've been convinced, actually, by you, Ariel, mm-hmm. um, throughout, during our podcast um, today, where I don't think he ever really did want to destroy Venice. Venice, no. I don't think so. And, and it's not just the nostalgia. I think it, it, there is the whiff of, of a lie. It's the whiff that it's... it's, it's it's all style, all garnish, no substance. Mm-hmm. 
we know that I think the really the big problem for futurism is that they're very heavy on the ideas front, but they undermine themselves constantly. We know that the first manifesto was trialed extensively. Mm-hmm. It is not spontaneous. And the manifesto is saying, yes, you need to be spontaneous. It fails itself. I don't think Marinetti really does. It's all just about the image. It's all just about the reaction. I don't think any of these, too many of them, and there look is further, no reality to it. And further to that point, or in take, take, take the nationalism. Take the nationalism. Mm. There is such nostalgia in all of this, especially in Venice. You really see it in the Venice one. You don't see it in the other ones. Mm. But in the Venice one, he's like, but you were once these fantastic, you know, like industrialists and warriors. And, you know, they were this great city state. And he, he talks about that nostalgically. And he wants to return them to that. He wants to, to re-enliven Italy. And that, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Right? Surely, if you were truly a futurist, you want to get rid of all of it. All of it and just in with the new. There's, there's a strange traditionalism to, to Marinetti. I, I don't know if to necessarily the idea of futurism, but definitely it's, it's a weird dichotomy between the future and tradition. Or in this case, it's not tradition. You would hate that. But the future and some vague identity or some vague, like, resentful lacking that he, he feels. That something was taken, some, some in, like, historic injustice that needs to be remedied against something that was once great and that needs to be great again. That is, that pervades both futurism and will pervade fascism in its more articulated forms. That's one of the weird, well, what's one of the many present characteristics of fascism that they kind of shift around. Um, it's like a, like a cluster property, cluster properties. Mm. It's a good way to talk about it. Future. That's not me. That's Umberto Eco's thing about fascism. Yeah. But that weird dichotomy between the past and the future and wanting to do away with everything. But there's this like profound nostalgia, this sense of, 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 of simmering greatness that need only be unlocked. And I think you really get that in, in the Venice one, but you don't really get it in Kill the Moonlight. Mm. Although he still will like gladly use past imagery, past ideas, the Vedas, all of this. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's a scoundrel. He's a scoundrel, Marinette. He's he a total scoundrel. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say regarding uh, the speech and the, uh, the manifesto, We've totally lost the animalistic imagery. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. Would have been, I loved been great. It. Yeah. I loved it. We already saw that it was turning. Um, it's gone. Where is it gone? I thought it was one of the great bits of his, of his style. Since podcasting is not a visual medium, I have to report that Thomas is weeping profusely. Mm. Um, I'm hiding it very well. <laughs> yeah. It's gone. It was great. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's a disappointment for me because I, I, I love that bit mm-hmm. uh, but one more thing as well um, which is a little bit of an odd thing to mention uh, but because it, it, but it brings us back to our first our very first episode mm-hmm. when talking about don't howl against the so called ugliness of the locomotives, trams, automobiles and bicycles 
I told you. The, I told bicycles. you. I was right. I was right all along. The bicycle is not a like symbol of the past. Oh, yeah. It, it, no, it was the dithering. I told you. It was that they were arguing, and that was the problem. I'm right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bit horrified that it's in there. Mm-hmm. Why does he like bicycles? Because they're brand new. They're not brand new. They're super new. Penny farthings have been around for ages. Penny farthings were, had not been around for ages, and penny farthings are dumb looking. Bicycles were cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> well, I mean, I love bicycles, but even then, they were, they were quite dynamic. I, I should... You, do you not know about the history of the bicycle? No. Okay, listeners, for the next episode, Thomas will read a mighty tome on the history of the bicycle, and he'll report back. Mm. I might get a bicycle and ride over the book. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be very futurist of me. Would be very futurist of you. No, but I, I just Thomas's wanted to mention family, that. Thomas no. comes from a long line of bicycle merchants. <laughs> yes. That didn't work. Oh, no. I think I've retired the joke. Yeah. And on that depressing note, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. Mm. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Manifest Image, where we looked at uh, Against Passes to Venice and the uh, Marinetti speech to the Venetians. Next week, we'll actually be turning to uh, Valentine de Saint-Point, a manifesto, uh, a futurist manifesto of woman, or on women. And uh, the next two episodes will be on Saint-Point's work, primarily, mm-hmm. uh, with the, uh, one after that being on uh, the Futurist Manifesto of Lust. And so we'll actually see, we've, we've seen a lot of this, the war, the bloodshed. We also know that he has a big problem with scorn for women. Mm-hmm. How? In fact, is, there's literally a manifesto called Scorn for Women. Yeah. How will Saint-Point, Oof. who is a futurist, she is interested in this movement, she mm-hmm. does want to get onto the bandwagon, how will she fit in? What yes. ideas will she come up it should with? Be, it should be interesting. It will be interesting. It will be an interesting couple of weeks. Thank you so much. Thank you.